0: everyone welcome back for a brand new episode of collider ladies night guess what i can't stop covering fear street and i have yet another
1: favorite star of the fear street films with us here emily rudd congratulations oh my god thank you so much and thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to be here and to talk even more about fear street because i too cannot shut up about it yes good that's the way to do
0: it i like it all right I warned you, we start the show with dicey questions. I'm going to give you three rolls on the dice tower behind me. I've got eight questions listed here. And whatever I roll, that's what you're getting to start.
1: Okay, great. Perfect. Let's do it.
0: All All right, right. Roll number one. We've got a number one. Oh, I'm happy it landed on this. This one's called Fear Street Fans. What is the most memorable thing a Fear Street fan has said to you about the films?
1: Oh, my God. Um... Oh shoot, there's been there's been so many amazing things said about these films. I think I think the biggest takeaway for me is anytime anyone has said that they have felt represented in these films in a way that they haven't been in other horror series, movies, whatever. Um, you know, because obviously we have a lot of LGBTQ representation. We have Um, two amazing black leads and so then also we can't forget we can't forget um, Daryl Britt Gibson either so he comes in more in movie three so I guess three but I mean it yeah I think the biggest thing for me is like okay cool people are a wide range of people are seeing themselves in these films and that just warms my heart
0: yes I could not agree more all right roll number two now Number seven, what is number seven? Oh, I know the answer to this and I already love it. It's four-legged friends. Please tell us about your pets.
1: I have a chocolate lab. His name is Toby based off of the the baby from Labyrinth um, because that's my favorite movie. So he's just like, he's an old guy now. Well, I don't like to say that, but he's kind of getting older, but he still acts like a puppy. He's my best buddy. He lives back home with my parents and I think about him constantly.
0: Yes, I understand that very much. All right, roll number three, and we are wrapping this up with a six. Scary stuff. What
1: is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Oh my gosh! Oh, um, you know, I have to say that I think, I think it's the Babadook, just because I grew up on fantasy films, and it really blended fantasy elements with horror elements. And I, the first year I moved to LA, I lived with my brother and my friend, Steve, and I was just like chilling in my bedroom. And then I hear this rapping on the window because I, my window was like right up against the street. I hear a rapping on my window and I hear, bah, bah, and I about shat my pants. It was Steve. It was my roommate, Steve being mean to me. So that really solidified my fear of the Babadook.
0: I'm glad you did that on your own because you knew <laughs> I was going to ask you to do the Babadook noise.
1: Yeah, it just, yeah, it, it's, ingrained in me now that was very understandable now I'm
0: regretting not swapping this poster out for the Babadook one I have downstairs oh yeah yeah you're like I want to make her feel real comfortable let's pop her scariest film right up here This us hands down one of the most chilling films that I've seen not just because the movie itself is scary to watch but also what it represents in all of us that we yes. all have and that there's no escaping
1: and I lay awake at night thinking about that too often Yeah, I um, (laughs) am. that just gave me like, you know, bad goosebumps. You got good goosebumps and bad. That was a bad goosebumps moment. Thank you. (laughs) My apologies, but it's the movie we're covering today. So I
0: don't feel too bad about it. That's true. That's true. All right. Let's get into the meat of the interview now. I like to start big and broad, get to know you a little bit better. So what is the very first, the movie, the performance, the personal experience, you name it, that first made you say, I got to be an actor?
1: All right. So I got two. Um, like I said, Labyrinth is my favorite film and I have watched it. I can't tell you how many times I've watched it, but it was the film that made me go, oh my God, there is magic in, in movie making. And I have always wanted, that's why I became an actor because I want to create magic for people. I want to bring people into other worlds. And then I also saw. Uh, the 500 hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. At, there's a children's theater in Minneapolis where I'm from, and as a kid, I remember the scene where the king keeps taking off the hats, and there was just hats under hats under hats, and I'm like, I'm watching it in real life. And I'm like, what? On how? How does this even work? I don't understand. And so it's just that sort of that wonderful playfulness and just. The ability to do anything, be anything, create anything was like, you know I have to do that. I have to be a part of it.
0: I love the way you describe the movie magic of Labyrinth, because that's the exact same way I feel about Jurassic Park. And that's the reason I'm here at all. It's because that movie had that same effect on me.
1: Yes. Yes. It's just these big worlds where you're like, I believe all of this and I want to be a part of it. And and that's why we rewatch all of these films, because we just want to live in it more and more and more. Oh, 100%. So
0: before we jump into specific titles, I was wondering, because I do a little internet stalking before I do these interviews, and I, I was wondering, did you ever have a YouTube channel or something?
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes. I had it for a brief moment in time. I had a YouTube channel, and then I realized that YouTube is not for me, at least in the way that I was trying to do it. Um, I don't know if I would ever revisit it. Some people have asked. Me to post Fear Street, but I just don't know. I feel like I'm very much the type of person where I just sort of say things and hope it works out. And I think having that on the internet forever is a very scary thing for me. <laughs> now I feel bad letting you know that some of those clips are
0: floating around. They're delightful. Oh, like literally every single one I watched is is very genuine, and I could see people responding to it really big. Oh, so the stuff oh. that's out there is quite nice. Okay, well, thank you. That makes me feel a little better. Hooray! let's get into some specific titles here. So IMDb tells me that you scored a whole bunch of music video opportunities to start. And I'm a big Motion City soundtrack fan. So I like that one in particular. Yes. When you first started out in the industry, is music video something you sought out? Or was it something that you happened to fall into?
1: That was something that I actually happened to fall into a music video was my first acting project out here in LA. And at the time, I was working two jobs and I had to work the next day and it was an overnight shoot. And I, I think I got paid like a hundred dollars maybe or something for 12 hours of work overnight. And I was almost not going to do it. And then my family was like, you literally went to LA to act, just do it. You can sleep when you're dead. And so I did it. And from that, the director Robo really loved me and he's used me for a bunch of other ones. Um, the casting director for that used me for a bunch of other ones. And so it kind of became my thing. I just sort of fell into it for a good year where I was just doing music videos and it was a fun way to keep doing what I loved and make money. And so that was, um, Yeah, it ended up being a lot of fun. It wasn't anything I expected, but I really enjoyed it. Is there anything about those opportunities
0: that might have paved the way to your first uh, TV gigs?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think exposure is exposure. I think experience is experience. And it helps me kind of, because I didn't come from a film and television background. I grew up in a very small town in, well, half Minnesota, half Wisconsin. And I just did theater, and so I didn't really have any experience in front of the camera, and so that was a really wonderful way to sort of dip my toes in, get comfortable, understand how things work on set, so that when I actually got the bigger opportunities, the you know film and television opportunities, I was like, okay, I'm not completely out of my depth here.
0: So I'm jumping all around here, but you mention you mentioning exposure is making me think of this question. So. I know Fear Street came out in uh, early July. Had you already booked, what was it, Hunter season two? And I think you were probably already shooting Moon. I, I keep wanting to say Moonfall because that's the yeah. role in Emmerich movies that's yes. coming out, but it's yes. Moonshot. Did, did Fear Street have anything to do with you maybe booking those roles through more people seeing your work in Fear Street or is it a situation where Fear
1: Street hadn't come out so they didn't even have access to it anyway? I think, um, I think at that point in time, it was probably, it just, I got, I got lucky with the timing of it. It wasn't, generally speaking, I think Netflix likes to keep, you know, to themselves, they like to keep things secret and they were, they were really trying to make Fear Street a big thing. So they wanted to keep it locked down. Um, I think at least in the industry, they maybe knew about it, but I'm not sure if anyone really knew. I think maybe Netflix knew, but I don't think anybody really knew how big it was going to be. So, um, which is so cool. But yeah, so I think it was really just like, it was funny timing more than anything. I had high hopes, but it wasn't until
0: I I saw the whole thing with my own eyes and I'm like, holy shit, you know, this is going to spark that kind of fandom. And that is the coolest thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so, I just, I'm absolutely overjoyed with the response because you know with horror movies it's either like oh my god this is revolutionary or it's like okay we had fun you know and so you never really know what it is but the fact that people like i said earlier are really connecting with it is just like i couldn't be happier all
0: right some early titles now early tv titles specifically so going through your filmography and the two that i took note of was electric dreams and the romanoffs so yes I mean, you had a, you had a role in Electric Dreams where you're being directed by someone like Alan Taylor, that must be huge, but there's something about going toe to toe with a, with an industry veteran who's so experienced like Amanda Peet, that makes me Mm -hmm. think that maybe that was the one that made you think maybe like, I am here and I'm doing it. I can operate on this level
1: opposite this powerhouse. And I don't know. Am I right? Does that give you an extra source of confidence? No, you are. You are one hundred percent correct. It was. It was a combination of working with Amanda, but also working with Matt Weiner. Um, both of them are just obviously, uh, incredible talents. So so good. And you know, Matt's a very specific person. He knows exactly what he wants. And so the fact that he casts the people he casts, you sort of go into it knowing okay, this, this is meant for me, I made it, I've done what I needed to do. And then Amanda is not just a crazy talented person. So good. Really someone that I learned a lot from, but she's also so wonderful. Like there, we had, there was one day that was a little tough and she was like, we need some chocolate. Can we get some chocolate? And like, got us like 10 different chocolate bars and we just sat there eating and hanging out and she's just she's so cool she's so wonderful and yeah that project was really something where I was like wow I'm I'm here right now this is bonkers
0: was that tough day the restaurant scene to play a character that that's going back and forth with her and has like such confidence in what she's saying in such a heated moment, I, I, like I felt the intensity of what it must have been like for
1: you that day. Yes, yes, it's such a strange. It was a, it was so fun, but it was tough because it was like I'm I was supposed to be her daughter, but at the same time, Matt was like treat her like she's your child, and so to have that sort of when she's coming at me full force, and I'm still trying to like stay on top of her in a very motherly way. It's It was such a weird but fun thing to play with. You nailed that note. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Thank you. That's exactly how that comes across. Thank you so much. So on Ladies' Night, we always talk about some bumps in the road as well. And the one I want to bring up is Olive Forever because I am also a very big fan of Brian Duffield. I- yeah,
1: and he loves Jurassic Park. That's what I thought of when you were like, I love Jurassic Park. I was like, oh, my friend
0: Duffield loves Jurassic Park. Spontaneous friend like, being one of my uh, favorite films of last year. Yeah,
1: so good, right?
0: So good. You book a pilot like that, a whole bunch of really cool people that you're working with, and then the pilot doesn't get picked up to series. How do you not get bummed out by that and instead maybe you know back pocket some things you learned during that experience and take
1: them with you to future projects yeah it's it's you know inevitably you're going to get bummed, especially with that project because I really, really loved it, and I loved everyone that I worked with, but at the same time, everything is a learning experience and I always try to keep the mindset of the things that are meant for you will come to you. And that just, that was meant for me in just that way. It wasn't meant for me in a full series. And um, I think we all really had a lovely experience on that. And we've all grown in different ways. You know, Adam was on the order and he absolutely like funniest dude ever, nicest person ever. Um, Sarah Yarkin is now in the new Texas chainsaw massacre that's coming out on Netflix. Duffield obviously did Spontaneous and he's, you know, doing cocaine there now. So he's just like, which is such a funny title, but everybody is sort of going off in the directions that it feels like they were meant to. And it was nice to just have that little moment with us together. And and that's kind of what I focus on.
0: I don't want to play favorites, but I'm especially excited for that Texas Chainsaw movie, even more after Netflix snatched it up.
1: Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I love it. I love it. The All of Forever Girls. Being on Netflix, we're Netflix people now. All right, getting into Fear
0: Street here. I love talking about Carmen Cuba because I think she's the greatest, so. She's incredible. Your Carmen Cuba casting process, what is something about that process that was kind of one of a kind you had never experienced before and made you think, yeah, like
1: this way of doing it is special? Um, Well, so she, at least for most part, for the most part that I've experienced, she likes to do self-tapes for the first round. Uh, And that was even pre-COVID, obviously. She just does tapes. She looks through them. And then she really only brings in the people that she can see something in. So even that, like getting cast by Carmen Cuba is such a validation. It's insane. I'm like still pinching myself. But um, she is also so mindful when she's in the room to really work on things, to make sure that she gets the take that she wants or the read that she wants. And you can really feel that she ultimately just wants you to succeed. And that's not something that you feel all the time in a casting office. So to have someone who is such a powerhouse like Carmen also make you feel like, oh, I, she wants me here and she wants me to have this. It's, it's like that's something that's so unique. And I, I feel very lucky to have experienced that.
0: How about when you get to the point in the process when you're reading with Sadie for the first time? Oh, yeah. Her relationship in that movie is spot on. Oh, thank you. Is there anything about your first impression of her and how she works that made you think, even before you hit set, like this, like this is right? We can do this. Something is clicking.
1: Yeah. So I went and flew down to test in Atlanta. And that was when I met Lee and she was like, oh, by the way, surprise, I'm actually directing your movie as well. Because originally she wasn't directing movie two. So she was down there. She was handling that whole audition. There were there was one other girl that was um, reading for Sadie's role as well. And then I started with that girl and it was lovely and she was super, super talented. But when I got in the room with Sadie, it just... There was just a level of comfort. She's so sure of herself for being such a young woman. She knows who she is. She knows what she's about. She knows her worth, her talent, everything. And at the same time, she makes it such an open and welcoming space. And I was like, oh, I can do anything. And in our read, it was a scene actually that wasn't really... I don't think it ended up being in the actual movie cause they did a little rewrite, but, um, I ended up hugging her, which I hadn't done with the other girl. Cause it was just like, Oh, I feel this. And now it's so cute because we have that scene after we reunite and we hug each other. And that's the first time that we have that sort of connection in the movie. So to have started our journey as sisters with that in in the testing audition, and then have that in the movie as well. It's just, She's great. She's so awesome. I can't say enough wonderful things about her.
0: There's so many things that I, like, want to respond to. (laughs) And I wanted (laughs) to interrupt you, like, 500 times. I know. I'm sorry. I threw a lot out there. The thing that struck me most that you brought up is that Lee wasn't initially going to direct 78. Yeah. I just, I can't picture this trilogy working as well without her touch on every single one.
1: I agree. I agree. I think it was, I think... At the time, because it was originally with Fox, I think they were cognizant of the fact that it would have been a lot of work for her to do all three, um, but I think something happened to where it just, the the original person who was attached wasn't able to do it, and so Lee was there, and she was like, well, here we go, and I cannot, like you said, I can't, I also can't imagine not having her, because she really just, she's such a visionary, she knew exactly what she wanted throughout the entire thing. And she really just was able to get it all together and make it this beautiful, cohesive story. It's just, I can't, I can't think about her not directing my movie at all. It's, crazy
0: We are going to come back to the marathon of it all a little later, but first, yeah. one of my favorite qualities of the trilogy is that there are echoes of the 1666 characters in the 94 and 78 counterparts. So, for you, you step on set and you film Abigail first. Is there anything about that character that you wanted to hold especially tight to that can shine through in Cindy, even if it isn't something like super overt?
1: I think it's just they have the similar thing of <laughs> being naggy. All, you know, she's she's kind of a control freak, and Cindy is very much a control freak, and so I think Abigail was the same way, especially with Sadie's characters, so I think that was the biggest through line, because obviously Abigail isn't a massive character in the 1600s, so just to have that little tiny tidbit of, okay, the sister relationship is the most important thing. And carrying that over into 1978 was something that I really wanted to do.
0: So getting into 78 specifically, is there any particular scene that you found the most satisfying to film where you could feel on the spot, everything coming together and you walked away saying like, yes, that was a good moment?
1: Um, she, there's so many. That's so it's such a tough question. I always go back. <laughs> It sounds so silly, but I go back to the scene where I cut off Nightwing's head with a shovel. It's because that is like when you think about in the caves where Cindy says, I don't think I could kill him. You know, of course, she already stabbed him and thought that she did. But it's totally different to literally cut someone's head off with a shovel than stabbing them. So that was sort of like the ultimate turn of her shedding her sort of contrived version of herself and settling into the real her. So to have that and walk away from that, I was like, cool, that felt, that felt good. That felt like, all right, Cindy, the real Cindy's
0: here. A very understandable answer there. Just spin (laughs) that around a little. Is there any particular scene where you know, you thought you were having trouble or weren't quite getting there and you only got there because of something someone else gave you, whether it was a co-star or a Lee, something that you couldn't pull out of yourself on your own, but they helped you
1: access. Ooh. Um, i The first thing that comes to mind is the scene after Alice breaks her her ankle and I'm sort of unloading and being honest for the first time and I was, I forget how I was read. I think I was reading it in a way that was a little bitter, not necessarily at other people, but towards myself and my own choices. And Lee was able to bring out a softness at the end of that monologue. When I talk about my sister, when I talk about sweet Tommy, and it's, it made it more, less of like, a, I can't believe I've done this the entire time to, I can't believe I've done this, but my heart aches for what I've maybe done to the people that I love and, or what they are to me and what I haven't acknowledged. And so, yeah, I think that was, yeah, because I wish I could, I wish I could show you like the end of that little monologue, how I originally did it. And then what Lee gave me a note on. She just really wanted, she was like, feel you mean it. You mean all of these things. You say to you, or Ziggy was right this whole time, and you know it. You're feeling it for the first time. You're feeling that you're allowing yourself to connect with that sisterly bond again. And Tommy was sweet. You genuinely love these people. So sink into that. And I think in this, they used that take after she gave me that note. And so I think that was. Yeah, that was something where it was obviously a very tough scene because I'm just like sobbing and snotting all over the place. And, you know, you get kind of like settled in there because you're like, I am simply crying. I am simply just crying and crying and crying and doing take after take and I'm going to get through this. But to have her be there as a grounding force, I think was very helpful and obviously made that little moment what it is.
0: This is a terrible follow-up to an answer about such a a key emotional scene. But (laughs) i got to ask you about Harold Hines. (laughs) did you guys ever just for fun come up with more information about harold hines other than him just being the person that sent cindy to the principal's office
1: no i that's like i i he i don't know should we have delved into that like maybe that's the spinoff you know what i mean people have been asking for fear street four maybe it's about harold hines i don't know like i can't hear here like fucking harold hines (laughs) fucking harold hines i know I know. Well, I'll talk, I'll talk with Lee. I'll talk with Lee. We'll figure something out. We'll get this info. I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's get into the ending of 78. And I like warning, I am
0: especially fascinated by just the art of special effects makeup. So I'm gonna get really weird about all the stabbing. I actually think Please. I kind of scared uh, Sadie at the junket when I'm like, tell me about all the, the stabby and the blood and how do you pull that off? And I think she was a little taken aback by it. But all right, getting into the end here. Actually, before we even touch the bloodiness of it all, I have a question about the delivery of one particular line. It's when you say, just let my sister live because yeah. you make it work so well. But then as I'm rewatching it, I'm looking at a moment like that. and I'm like, wow, that line easily could have been, you know, the the Jennifer Love Hewitt in I Know What You Did Last Summer. What yeah. are you waiting for where, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. come across with such earnestness, but you make that line work.
1: So was it a lot of workshopping in order to nail that just right? I think honestly, it was such a <laughs> such a heightened moment. And we had just been sprinting, like doing takes of sprinting towards that tree through this very large field. So heart rates were already up and we definitely paid a little homage to the Jennifer Love Hewitt moment, but um, we had already done, that was one of the, one of the last scenes we did for 78. And so having all of our work done together we'd already established that wonderful connection and all I needed to do was just sink into it. And I, you know, I have siblings. I have an older brother. I have um three older half siblings, but my my older brother Dan is my best friend. And it's obviously not the same as the sister-sister relationship, but um being able to pull from that and then also the relationship that Sadie and I had developed, it was sort of like, Oh, of course. It just it was it just came out, I guess, you know. And what in that moment, that's all she wanted. That's all that was all she was working for. Once she got trapped in those caves, she was like, I have to get to my sister. And she put herself aside. And I really wanted that moment to show she didn't care what happened to her. That was her bargaining chip. Just please let Ziggy live. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of fans being like, Cindy died thinking Ziggy died with her, which is, I think, sometimes reads as like, oh, did they. Is that, do they think that that's what she wanted she wanted to like die with her sister so they would never be apart but no ultimately she did get what she wanted which is so wonderful and then yeah it is very heartbreaking that she thought they both died um, but yeah, I guess I, I'm sorry, I'm like rambling on because I'm just thinking about all of this. I just I love it. You're like talking my speak with fear Street, where my, my mind just
0: goes in circles and I don't stop. I've I've thought about every hypothetical imaginable at this point. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, it's a very, very effective moment. As someone with a sister, I feel like that particular beat and I love clearly all three of the movies, but that was just like take my heart and shred it into a million pieces. Yep. So yep. Great great success with that quality and also the idea of paying homage to a 90s slasher movie, but while still making it feel earnest. And I feel like that's why a lot of the nods in these movies to other horror films that came before it, like, I feel like that's why they're so powerful and they don't feel like heavy handed, like, look at what we're doing here. Right,
1: right. Yeah, we wanted to be self-aware, but we didn't want it, you know, to slap the viewer across the face with yes. it. Yes. All right. Let's get into the bloody stuff now. So going back to what you
0: were saying before now about Lee not shooting, not directing the second film because it was an epic marathon for her. So she steps in and she, she told me this in one of our interviews that it was so bloody at the end because she was just so exhausted and was like, all right, let's do it. So what were your expectations going into that final death scene compared to what it wound up being on the day?
1: You know, I, the thing is is I didn't actually have any expectations. I just knew. I was like, I'm getting axed to death. I, it's probably going to be bad. Um, <laughs> but there was the, the scene that or the, the shot that they actually used where the blood came out of my mouth. Um, that was they put the blood in and then we thought we were going to go in two minutes. It ended up being probably 20 minutes. So I'm sitting there. I'm just kind of laying in the grass in the middle of this field in Atlanta, Georgia. The fake blood just sort of marinating in my mouth. And I'm just waiting. And when we finally go, it's built up because it mixes with your saliva. And it just whooshed like a fountain. And we was like, yeah, that's it. And so, of course, we used it. But that, I think, as far as bloodiness goes, it was that. And then also, there were like... Lee really did just go add more blood keep no no more blood more blood that was sort of (laughs) like her her tagline throughout the entire filming process she was like more dirt more blood more dirt more blood do you know what they've gone through more dirt more blood (laughs) so yeah I think it was like we started smaller and then she kept going Let's let's add some more. Um, Just pour it it on. Just pour it on. So with everything you went through
0: filming that sequence in order to make it look as good as it does, is there anything about the movie magic of it all that made you say, like, huh, I can't believe this is what it takes in real life to make it look like that on screen? Yes. Um,
1: (laughs) So obviously, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because thinking about it now is very, very funny. Um, I'm, you know, getting asked. And they're filming me. And then you can see that the axe going in now, obviously, with SFX. But my body is, like, obviously kind of rocking because it's, you know, that would happen if uh, an axe was going in and being pulled out. And (laughs) when we're filming it, it's Lloyd, uh, the stunt guy, standing above me, you know, pulling the punch with the axe. And then you (laughs) have our AD, Doug. At my feet, and he is kicking the bottom of my shoe to make the the body movement happen as the axe hits. So really, when you think about it, it's just me laying in the grass. You've got a dude over me with an axe, not quite hitting me, but close. And then you have our AD just kicking the bottom of my shoe, and he's like kicking away. Um, it's it's thinking about that. Yeah, that's sort of like wow, I can't believe that this is this is what it takes to to make a death scene happen. Here we are.
0: I don't want to ruin the magic of it all, but like that's the kind of behind the scenes footage that I would be very
1: fascinated. I know, I wonder if we have it somewhere because I really, I just feel like it would be so funny to see because we all take it so seriously, right? In the moment, it's a very intense moment, but then looking back on it, you're like, this is ridiculous. I feel it like someone's got to have it. They,
0: you yeah. guys, you documented the entire. I mean, that that's also another great thing. I feel like I I see this more with Netflix properties than other things. But I mean, do you like do you guys take all those pictures and stuff on set, knowing that it's going to significantly help? you know, strengthen the fandom when the movie actually comes out. Because I think these movies would have struck a chord no matter what. But there's something that this cast has done in terms of using social media and sharing those memories that I think has created an extra special bond between movie and fan.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind when we were filming because I think we were all just having a good time. And so we were documenting us having a good time. And then- it seemed like people wanted to see that, wanted to see the behind the scenes. And then the more we did it, the more people were like, yes, that's it. Give us more. Um, so we just tried to unload as much as we had, but now I wish I had taken more. I'm terrible at taking photos. I'm looking through my, my camera roll. Like where did I take anything at all? What is going on? So I, I don't know. I have to take through, see if I can find more, but, um, you've always got, you've got McCabe and he's Mr. Cameraman. So I know, isn't it crazy? People are beautiful, right? So. He's so talented. He's so talented. And he was, he's such a cool dude. He was like, yeah, I'll just, I'm not working today, but I'm just going to hang out. I'll come to set. And he just wandered around with his camera and was having a ball. Uh, but yeah, he's obviously, he has like the most in-depth full collection of behind the scenes stuff. So, uh, thank you, McCabe. Thank you, McCabe.
0: Coffee table book.
1: I'm just saying. Oh my God. You're right. They're that beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Let's, we'll throw it to them. We'll see. Maybe Netflix will be like, let's go.
0: They might as well. I mean, I've already bought uh, Waxworks is making a, a record and it's yes. like stunning. I wish it was here so I could have it that I, I don't think they ship until October, but they look yeah. so good.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the whole cast is getting one. I think I don't know I have to check in I have to check in I was told that we were and I'm counting on it because I it like you said it's beautiful I was so excited when Lee said that they were doing that
0: I gotta ask you the big ending question now I asked this to Kiana and Olivia and they put me down a very specific path so I'm curious to get your take but first I just want to know your opinion who takes the book at the end of the movie
1: Mm, that's a good question You know, I, I feel like there are so many options. I don't, I want to keep, I don't have, I don't have a solid answer, actually. I, I love a good mystery and I love that it's so open-ended that you're sort of like, oh, it really could be anyone because it could be because there's always evil in the world. And I, to me, that's the point that it could be anyone because we all kind of, circling back to the babadook we all have that in ourselves right we're all a little scary on the inside so that's where my head goes at least but i don't what did wait what did kiana and olivia say do they do they have actual people that they're like this person they, they had some ideas but based on those two conversations
0: the one that i've landed on as being the most likely and with the most story potential is is nurse lane because zig ziggy gives her her notebook back at the end and with the echo thing one might think that she'd have an understanding of how to use the book from 1666 right, and also right. She knows how to get back to the book that's sitting at the crime scene but yeah another one is that Ziggy could be the one who took the book that she's still t- so torn up over losing Cindy that she's just like you know like you know fortune has never been in my favor so I'm gonna use it now and yeah I am curious what you would
1: think of that after that ending in seventy eight <laughs> I don't think that I firmly disagree with Ziggy taking it because she experienced ultimate heartbreak she lost the person that she loved the most and. I think she wor- She fought so hard to make it right that I just don't see her doing a 180 and being like, okay, well, now I'm going to do it back to other people. She knows what that book is capable of. And I think with that knowledge, if she took it, I think she would get rid of it or she would be keeping it locked down, safe, like hidden away in her home. That's what I think. If she were to take it, I don't think she would a- actually use it. I feel like given how her
0: home is set up, that is something that I would very much believe, that she would take it and stash it away and lock up her house and call it a day.
1: Yeah, which could be a very interesting way to continue on with this series is she's protecting it and there are people out there trying, who know that it exists, trying to get it from her. I don't know. We're All right. just riffing. We're spitballing here. That's what I like. That's, that's <laughs> the fun times now
0: is, you know, we get yeah. to theorize until hopefully Netflix gives the go-ahead to more they should. I have already kept you too long. If you have a few more minutes, we have one more game and then our regular ending questions. Please, let's go. All right. So this next game, this game is called Movie Theme Dream Team. I am going to have you kind of do cast superlatives, but for a slasher movie with the Fear Street cast. So tell okay. me who best suits these descriptors. Got it. Most likely to not realize that they're in a horror movie and to go and investigate a strange noise.
1: Oh, Kiana. I think it's Kiana. I think she's she's <laughs> she's got this, like, she's such a lovely, kind person. I see her, she believes in the good and everybody and everything. And so I think if she heard a noise, she'd be like, oh, who's here to visit me? Like it's that sort of like, hello, friend. It's like that very much that energy. So I just don't think she would even realize, oh, I might die in this moment. Okay, I'd believe that.
0: Who's the most <laughs> likely to sacrifice themselves for the rest of the group?
1: Oh, McCabe. I think McCabe, he's a giver. He's like an ultimate giver. So I see him being like, you guys go. I'm done. I'm done here. It's fine. I don't yeah. It's absolutely him, I think.
0: I could see that as well. I also feel like I might know the answer to this next question. Who is the most likely to trip and fall while running from the killer?
1: I think it's Fred. <laughs> <laughs> <That>. <laughs> oh, I love Fred so much, but yeah, he would he I just I feel that he's just kind of he's like big golden retriever energy just sort of existing and and you know finding his way as he goes and yeah i don't know that's definitely fred
0: all right how about who is the most likely to figure everything out figure out the mystery and give the group a fighting chance
1: ooh um can i give two is that okay or no okay oh, yeah, i think i think it's it's ryan and olivia Olivia obviously is a horror movie buff but so is Ryan Um, and so they would understand a lot of the tropes and also they they're both just incredibly smart and I think that they would be the ones that would actually be thinking about things and and logical and yeah I think it's both of them I would say if I if I can choose to which I did. And
0: I went. All right, this next one is is kind of my favorite, because whenever I talk about, you know, like, what would my immediate family do in a disaster movie, my sister always will say that she is this, like, without anybody else pushing her in the, that direction. Who is the one who just gives up right from the start, says, like, F this, it's too scary, I'm leaving,
1: and then just walks right into the flasher? Oh, my gosh. Um... <laughs> Oh, that's such a good question. I'm trying to, I would like to think that we would all battle it out. I'm, tr- um, I think it depends on the, you know what? It, in my head, it could be Benji. Like I, I, he's just got this like give a shit attitude where he might, It depending on the day, he could be like, no, I'm not going down. Or he might be like, you know what? That's fine. Actually, this is, let's just be done with this. So I, it's just like, it's a toss up. That's I, that's the only person though. I think I, I would like to think everyone battles it out. That's
0: what I would hope too. It's yeah. whenever I'm sitting with like my family of four and we're like, what would happen if, you know, I don't know, a, a natural disaster happened tomorrow and we had to like get in the car and go away. It's that my sister would be like, I would just freak out so hard that I would just crawl in a ball and give up. And then my father would- try to have us escape, but drive us into whatever direction that the earth was about to cave in. Yeah, yeah. And somehow I would be the last one standing, but I would be completely alone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I so. can't believe how much we talk about this. No. I, yeah.
1: But it's fun. It's fun. We love the hypotheticals. It's like really yeah. morbid
0: yeah. and scary, but it's fun. It, it is. But it's fun. It's fun. Two more for you here. Who is the most likely to be the last one standing?
1: Oh, um, I think... Oh, I think it's Julia or Daryl. I think Julia's a boss and smart as hell and stubborn, and I think Daryl is also extremely clever, and like <laughs> he'd probably just be like. You buddy you want to kill me come on man like we're friends we're pals like <laughs> just, I don't know he would like romance the not like in a in a platonic way he would romance the killer and the killer would be like you know what you're good you're stylish and you're cool as hell so I feel like I yeah I think either of them different different ways of doing it but either way I think they would probably be the ones in my brain,
0: that sounds like a great inventive slasher movie twist. <laughs> that you think it's going to be a big showdown, but it's really just Daryl like sweet talking his way. It's a heart to heart.
1: It's a heart to heart. Yeah, they're simply vibing. Just, just a killer and a guy vibing.
0: Oh, I'm into that. All right, the last <laughs> one is: Who is the most likely to be the one that you think is dead, but then shows up at the end and actually helps save the day?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um drew I think drew he uh he, i mean i know that he got he' fully got his head cut off in the movie but like he i think he really would he would be like i'm gonna play dead i think that's that's a safe thing and then I'll come out when it's safe but yeah he he would then he would play dead and then put the whole team on his back.
0: I like Drew finally getting the credit he deserves. Drew
1: deserves all
0: the credit. He shines with a lot of small roles and a lot of things that I've seen very recently. And I'm just waiting for the day when it just like pops so big and people realize what he's really capable of.
1: I think we need it and we deserve it. The people deserve more Drew.
0: Yes. Yep. All right, so we always end Ladies Night with the same two questions. They're kind of big questions. The first one is, Name someone who you think is changing this industry for the better.
1: Janiac. I know that's easy, but like, Weejaniac, obviously.
0: I will fully agree with that one. All right. The last one, you could take it in a heavy direction or a light direction, whatever you prefer. What is the biggest fear that you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome?
1: Ooh. I think... The biggest fear that I've had that I have been able to overcome is probably the fear of failure or not being enough. Um, And I think it's just changing my mindset of it's not failure, it's learning and kind of going back to what we were talking about with all of Forever Pilot. Like, it's about the experience. It's about what you take from it. You know, you can make mistakes, but it's not the end of the world. You can grow from anything. You can recover from anything, get over anything. And yeah, I think that's probably the big thing. I would say my actual biggest fear is is losing my family. And unfortunately, science has not allowed me to get over that one yet. Um, But I will, I'll find a way. I will find a way. My my family is not dying. I won't let it
0: happen. I share that same problem. So when you figure out the magical solution, you you, I'll hit call, the you. I'll no. call you.
1: I'll
0: call you. Wait, I have one more selfish question before I let you go. Because yeah, my biggest fear that I have yet to overcome is something that I think your family works with a lot: bees. So I know bees are good. I know bees are good. I know I'm not allergic. I have been stung. I know it doesn't really hurt. Yeah. But I can't control myself when there is a bee in my face
1: it's it's tough it's tough I think so here's a little tidbit you can actually tell the mood of bees by the pitch of their buzzing the lower the pitch the calmer they are but if you get like a really that means that they're upset and you want to give them some space so it just like you can really once you kind of pay attention to that you can tell okay are they in a good mood today are they crabby today I don't know uh, so Maybe that helps. Obviously, if there's one, just trust that they're not out to get you. They're like hornets and wasps are evil. They're pure evil. We don't like them. But bees, bees, they're just they're just hanging out. They're checking you out. They probably want to see if you've got, I don't know, some like sugar or something. Maybe you smell like flowers and they're just seeing what's up. All right. That does help. I will take
0: any ammunition I can get to better understand bees and potentially overcome my fear one day. Big contribution you just made, so I must thank you for that. And thank you so much for joining us for Collider Ladies Night. This was such a pleasure, and I feel like I'm saying thank you to you and to everybody right now that's involved in these movies. Thank you for the films, but also thank you for being just such utter delights to talk to because I love doing this so, so much. And when someone who's part of the making of a movie that I love is also such a treat to talk to, I mean, it's the ultimate for me. So thank you. I'm saying it to you right now, but thank you to you and to the entire Fear Street team for just making me so, so incredibly happy covering these movies. Oh my
1: God. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself. You know what I mean? Like you can keep this going. You can keep on the fear street trade. See, this is the problem though. I'm, I'm very easy
0: to persuade to do that because I keep <laughs> adding fear street ladies nights. Cause every time I release one, they're like more, more, and I'm like, yes. well, I don't want to do like, more, okay. so Maybe I should <laughs> now, now it's going to happen again because I just ended it that way, but I don't mind. Yes. I'll do another one. No, I
1: think we should do it. I think we should go. Thank you again for being here and cannot wait to see you in more things. Thank you so very much. Thank you again for having me. This was an absolute blast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,